Okay, good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series. Uh, today it's number 42. And we are in Masechet Baba Metziah. Last week, well, unfortunately, the first 40 minutes, the, the recorder didn't record the camera. Uh, I tried later to review it briefly, uh, just to refresh your memory. The lecture started last week with two people who walk in a desert and they have enough water only for one of them. And the answer is that a person who owns the water, the water has to be his. He doesn't have permission to give up his life. He has to give it to the other, you know, to, if he wants to give it to the other person, he has to, he has to drink it first. Uh, because if both of them will get half, they both will die. So one of them has to get it, he has to get it. What happens if you want to be a nice guy and give it to the other one and then he dies? No, because the Torah says, Chayecha Kodmim, your life comes first. We learn it from the verse in the Torah that it says, and your brother should live with you, which means you come first. First you live, and then your brother should live with you, which means first you. Okay, remember, the Torah is very precise. It's not a human language. Sometimes you talk like this, sometimes like that. The Torah is always precise. Every letter, every word, everything has a meaning. And if it say your brother should live with you, that means you come first. Then the Torah spoke about the mitzvah, or the Gemara speaks about mitzvah of lending money to your Jewish brothers. The obligation is, if you have a Jewish person and a non-Jewish person, who are you obligated to start with, giving a loan, helping him out? First, your brother. Some places the Torah speaks in general, it applies to Jews and non-Jews. Places that the Torah say your brother, then it means, or your colleague, that means somebody from your own nation. Over here the Torah says, if you, when, you have to, when you lend money to my nation, who is my nation? The nation of Israel. Why, why Hashem has to say the nation of Israel? He could have said, if you lend money to a person, and finish, and we'll understand everyone. But here it says, if you lend money to my own people, right? You have to start with the poor one, not the rich. Poor and rich, poor come first. Poor Jew, poor Goy, poor Jew comes first. Jew from your town, Jew from another town, Jew in your town come first. Relative or somebody stranger, the relatives come first. Uh, now, what's the, what, after all, what happened? How do we know that uh, we're still allowed to give uh, loans to non-Jews? Now, we are not talking business that you charge interest. That's business. It's not a loan. You're not doing a favor to anyone. It's paying you interest. We are talking a favor. A poor person needs a loan for a month, for two months, until he gets some money, until he finds a job, whatever. So we lend money because if we won't lend money, what's going to happen? There's going to be more hatred toward the Jewish nation. Some of the things, even if you had other priorities, it's not up to you always because then the, the outcome will be tremendous. For instance, uh, you know, sometimes in a charity of the city, when it's mostly Jews, there's few goyim that lives in a place, and some of these goyim also donate money. What do you do with their money? You put their money on the side that when a non-Jew comes to ask for help, you use the money of the goyim 
to help him, which means brothers to brothers, brothers to brothers. You understand? What happened if there's not enough? The goyim didn't give. So then you give them from the money of the Jews. Why? Because this is a human being. You cannot come and say, hey, you know, you were not born to a Jewish mother, so we let you starve. It doesn't work that way. Still have to save him. However, if, if you can save only one person, your brother or somebody on the street, forget Jews, non-Jews. You have your brother now who's hungry, and you have another Jew in the street that you don't know who he is. And you have only enough to save one of them. Who are you are obligated to save? The one who is close to you. So this is basically what we spoke about the 40 minutes. Then the, the next thing that we spoke about, not, not to charge interest between Jews to Jews. Jews are not allowed to charge interest, but to pay, and also not to pay interest to a Jew, but to charge from a non-Jew or to pay a non-Jew interest permitted. But between Jews to Jews, not allowed. Some a Jew that give money and charge interest, what happened to him? It's just a matter of time until all his businesses collapse. No blessing, even though it looks like very delicious and easy profit. You give your money and you make, I don't know, 20%, whatever they make, all this mafia, all this black market, whatever. It looks like they make a lot of money from this interest. In the end, everything collapses. You can go five, ten years, it looks like you're growing, boom, one customer disappeared, million dollars is gone. Then you make, 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 boom, another customer collapsed, you collapse with him. Eventually, this is what happened to the banks in the United States. They, they gave mortgages and, and all of a sudden nobody paid the mortgages. Even people who had money took advantage on a situation. And the government had to give the money and now the government collapsed. In August 2nd, we will find out if there will be riots on the street here or not, any day. Could be that after August 2nd, you're not going to be able to come out of the house for three months. Prepare. It's not an exaggeration. It's all depend now what the government of the United States will decide. To extend the ceiling of the loan by another trillion dollars and give us another year of quiet until the collapse will be harder in a year from now. Or it's going to happen right away, that they won't reach an agreement, finish, there's nowhere to cut from. And the next thing you're going to find out that if you have a million dollars saving, it became $10,000 because the value of the dollars is nothing. Hopefully it won't happen, but uh, like I said in many of my lectures in the last three, four years, since 2007, I've been warning when business was booming that everything is before a major collapse. And then shortly after I said that the real estate collapsed and then the banks collapsed and now all the retails are collapsing, it's really no business. And uh, we'll see, we'll see what's going to be. I know that my neighbor, for instance, had a very good service that he sells, a service that saves money. The best business should be in a time of crisis in economy that when you come to a store and tell them, I want to sell you a service, I'm going to cost you $1,000 a month, but I'm going to save you $2,000 a month from what you're paying already. In a time of bad economy, a normal business owner, what should he do? Grab it, no? Here, I'm showing you. I'm saving you $2,000 on chemicals that you put in your filters, in the electric bill, because your system is, is, has a, a corrosion and, a, and rust and all kinds of things. And with my system, it's been proven. You can see it. You can go and see it with your own eyes. And, and obviously, everybody see, and everybody see the saving, and everything is 100% legit. 
So he went to a big army base, somewhere in Massachusetts, Boston, something. Huge army base, looks like a city. Many buildings over there. So they made a trial. They said, let's put it in one building, and we'll see if it's working or not. After a month, amazing. We want to put in all the buildings. It's approved. They wrote him a letter. Your service is unbelievable. We needed something like this for years. You came in the right time. Then when he was supposed to start inst installing all his filters, his filter cleaning water, I mean cleaning the water, cleaning all the chemical. It does a lot for the buildings. I'm not exactly sure how to explain it. So <laughs> now when he followed up, the guy say, Rabot machashavot belev ish Hashem itakum. The goy, the owner of, I mean, the, the one in charge of the base, he said, we want to do it. But the President of the United States gave an order that the armies are not allowed to do any maintenance, no money, no budget. That's it. Everything is frozen. Even to change a light bulb, you don't have money. And he said, only major emergency repair, like a, a pipe explode. If you're not going to fix it, it's going to flood the whole area. <laughs> It'll be a, a billion dollar damage. So then that's the only thing we're fixing right now. Nothing. We don't change tables. We don't change the floor if it's broken. No potholes, no gardening, nobody care, cleaning weeds, nothing whatsoever. The army, there's no money which means if it got already to the army that they, they cannot do any repair, then you understand the situation over here. So no, 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 one, is, no one is having the confidence to sign a contract with him. Nobody knows if you'll be in business. Bichlal. Okay, you save me. What, what you're costing me, you're saving me. Much more. But who knows? In three months, where will I be? I have this building now. I own buildings. Who knows? Everyone is afraid. Maybe after what's going to happen is I'm going to have to leave my building and run away to Israel. You know what happened two years ago. Half of the real estate Israelis who work here collapsed. They couldn't even pay what they owe the banks. Not, they were in the middle of construction here, Miami, Las Vegas, everywhere. They building, building, building. They got money from the bank. All of a sudden, in one month, the value of the businesses went down 30, 40%. Doesn't pay to finish the building. Doesn't pay. By the time you finish, you have to pay the builder, you have to lay out money. You're going to owe more money than what you sell the apartments. It's not, it doesn't pay. So guess what? They're up to here with debt. They call up the bank, here, here is your collateral. Come take it. Goodbye. That's it. There's nothing to do here. I went back with peanuts. After many years of career, driving fancy car, having nice houses, go back to square one. I was in Las Vegas. There was one guy. He owned real estate in Vegas, eight and a half million dollars before the problem began. When I went there, he said that he owed the bank two and a half million and the value of the businesses a month ago was eight and a half. So he was considered a rich man, no? Six million dollars, you okay, no? <laughs> then in, in three, four months, everyone who come, no, not even one person made an offer, even to cover the, the debt from the bank. Even a third of the price, nothing. Nobody makes an offer, nothing whatsoever. So he told me, listen, I have an apartment in Hulon, in Israel, worth $200,000. I have maybe another $100,000 cash by me, and that's it. What should I do? Should I give this $8.5 million to the bank, take it for your $2.5 million, or I should continue to hold it, 
and have to pay, pay payments on a mortgage every month when I know the value of the business goes 5% every month, lower and lower and lower. What should I do? I tell them, tomorrow morning, take the plane. Call the bank, say, here, 8.5 million, come, take it for free. Take it, drop the 2.5 million. That was the smartest thing I ever gave an advice to someone. If it would stay there until now, it won't be worth half a million dollars. You know how many thousands of apartments are vacant in Vegas? Brand new apartments that were just built. Thousands of thousands of apartments. Nobody ever lived there. And, and, what do they do right now in Vegas? They're building new apartments. How can it be? If the bank's offering you an apartment in Vegas for $15,000, beautiful, brand new, three-bedroom apartment, $15,000, cheaper than uh, Louis Vuitton scarf, this entire apartment with beautiful view of the lights of, of Las Vegas, right? Like in the movies, the illusion of this world. How is it possible? They, it costs it cost them more than $85,000 to build each apartment. Now they're offering it for 15, and not only nobody buys it, there are builders right now who are building new apartments. No, let's figure it out together. I know in America everything is possible. Don't look for logic. But let's try to find some logic. No, let's see who can find me an answer. Why, when there is thousands of apartments are vacant, nobody comes, nobody wants it, nobody makes an offer. There are builders now in Vegas who started to build new apartments. Why? Because those apartments are already vacant for two, two and a half years. There are all kinds of homeless and all kinds of people who went or moved in and destroyed the places. Plus, there's no electric, no, no water. People made whatever they made when they have to go to the bathroom. There's no water to flush. There's all kinds of bad things there. You come to the place, you don't want to even enter. Nobody wants to even come look. The only solution is to put a bomb and explode all these buildings. You understand? This is what's going on here right now. So on August 2nd, we'll see what's going to happen. But in the meantime, the Gemara says, the Gemara speaks about an individual. I just gave you an example of the entire banking system collapse. But they collapse in America for different reasons. Why they collapse? Because they are the biggest crooks. They always win. The insurance companies and the banks are the biggest crooks. And the government is their backup. They help them to do whatever they want. Fee for that, fee for that. You know, do you know that the banks, if you write, if you put two or three checks and you made a mistake, you made a mistake by $5 in a calculation, do you know that they charge you a few dollars for it? Yeah. Five, seven dollars penalty for making a mistake <laughs> in adding the checks together. Things like this, like you cannot believe what's going on here. You understand? So the idea here that what I'm saying here is, for many years they took so much advantage on people, this closing fee, that one, pay extra penalty, you, you're late by a day, this and that, and now if you, if you missed an insurance a week, they make an insurance for you, charge you four times more. There's nothing you can do. We own your credit. They hold you like this, and Hashem say, okay, it's up to here now. You hold them like this, now let me hold you like this. And one after the other collapse, and that's it, that's what happened. But a Jew that gives to another Jew money, doesn't matter, you see, he makes a lot of money, he charge interest, you just wait and see how everything collapses in one minute. All right, so 
The Gemara say, Rabbi Shimon say, someone who lend money and collect interest always would lose more than what he make. Always. In the long run. In the beginning, it may look like business is booming. Oh, I'm growing every month. Rabbi, last month I brought $10,000 in interest. According to my plan, now I'm giving another loan. Next month it's going to be $11,000. Six months from now, $15,000. Three years from now, $100,000 interest. Yeah, yeah. It looks like this. And then comes the phone call. Uh, uh, Mr. Cohen, yes, we can't pay the mortgage. We can't pay the loan. My husband lost the job. He looks quickly in the paper. Oh, I lend him $400,000. What do you mean you can't pay the loan? We can't pay the loan. You want? Come take the place. We cannot pay. Oh, problem. Then another phone call. Another one cannot pay. And another one. And another one. So all the loans that you gave, most of the time you never see the principal return. And then you go to court, you fight, the lawyer costs you fortune. By the time you evict them, the judge will make you pay them some kind of bribe that they leave the premises. This is what's going on here. This is it. Yeah, a person leave for a year, doesn't pay you rent. You go to court, he drag you, there's a leak. The heat didn't work. There's a, there's a rat. We saw a rat. Every time, three more months extension. And then the lawyer, and again, and again. By the time, then the judge tell you, okay, you want him out tomorrow? Hey, tenant, how about he's going to give you $5,000 cash and you leave tomorrow? Not only he doesn't have to pay, you have to give him money to leave. You understand? Welcome to America, the land of the college of the crooks. Attention, the law of bankruptcies are about to be changed. Come quickly and take advantage as long as it exists, which means in different words, come quickly as long as you can cheat and get away with that, because when they change the law, you won't be able to call and say, I can't pay, I changed the name of my business. You're gonna have to pay. Right now, you can just make a phone call, bankrupt, don't, you don't pay anyone, and finished. And this is it. Then the next thing we said, there's a, there's a sin to take advantage on another person's weakness. If you know a person has weakness to food, you don't put non-kosher food next to him because you know he cannot control his desire. If you know a person is a thief, you don't put fancy thing or money or wallet or a jacket next to him. Why? As a weakness. If you know, whatever the weakness of the person is, if you know he has a weakness for women, you don't take him to, uh, to, to, to see downtown Manhattan. You don't take him there in the summer. Why? You know, he's not controlling his eyes. You have to know who you're dealing with, and based on that, same thing with your wife, with your children, you have to know which one is with, with weakness, and don't, don't take advantage. So that's called don't put, a, uh, don't put a trap in front of a blind man. Not, we're not talking literally blind. Talking blind in his wisdom, blind in his talent, blind in his actions. This is his weakness. Instead of taking advantage on him, open up his eyes. You know, no, no, that's not the right way. You're going to lose money. There was a case like this in Bnei Brak. There was one person who had to sell his apartment. He owed money. His rabbi told him, you must sell your apartment. You owe money. You have to sell. That's it. So he put his apartment. It was worth $280,000 in Yerushalayim because he's under pressure. He lowered the price to $200,000. It's $280,000, he lowered it to two hundred. dollars big, big reduction. Then one rich guy came. He looked at the apartment. 
And he, he told him, tell me, I want, I want to ask you a question. Why are you only asking for 200,000? Where is the catch here? Tell me the truth. The, what, there's any problem in this apartment? He told him, absolutely not. It's only two, three years old, and, I, and I'm under problems. I owe money to people, and they cannot wait. And I'm forced to sell it, and I'm under, I'm under pressure. So that's why the price is down. So he told him, OK, I'm not buying the apartment. Here is a check, $200,000 loan. Bring me just witnesses, somebody to guarantee the loan. Take your loan for one year. Get back on your feet. And then don't sell the apartment. That's a kosher person. Every other shark. Your brother's going to be on the street. He loses his apartment. Nah, 200 is too much. You know, he needs to sell the apartment. 140. You know, like people get, you know, they come to the store, how much is this? $300. Okay, $150, right away. <laughs> this is Middle Eastern mentality. Anyway, so, okay, one, one other thing. Someone who lends money without witnesses. It's a sin. When you give cash, you must have witnesses to see that you give another person cash. Better to write a note and make him sign. But at least the two witnesses saw you giving money. Why? Because if not, you're forcing him to cheat you. In two months from now, his Yetzirah will kill him. Don't give. Nobody saw. It's between you and him. He didn't plan to cheat. He really wanted to pay back. Because he was no witnesses, now you made him make a scene. Then the last thing, and then we can move on. The last thing is someone who by himself a master, a boss, his life is no life. So the Gemara says, what does it mean? Who by himself a master? There are a few explanations for it. A Jew that has money and he wants to lend it to another Jew, but he knows the Torah is forbidden, forbidden that, cannot charge interest. So he come, Reuven come to Shimon and say, Shimon, you want a loan? No problem. I don't have money to give you, but I know a friend of mine is John Smith and he has a lot of money. I can talk to him to give you the money. I'll be the broker. So, okay, very good. But it's his money. There's no John Smith, b'chlal. Then he comes to him and says, okay, John Smith agreed to give you a $50,000 loan for your business. But he's going to charge you 20% interest a year. You agree? But since he doesn't know who you are, he trusts me, I'm going to be the middleman. And for that, you pay me 2% extra. So now he became 22. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. You saved my business. He gives him. He signed the contract. Of course, six months later, he collapsed, and, and he comes and takes the business in the name of John Smith. But why? Okay, so that's a crook. But why he buy himself a boss? I don't understand. Crook, yes. But where did he buy himself a boss? The answer is when John Smith will find out that he said that the money is his, Next thing, he come to the rabbis in a bed din. Rabbis, I gave money to this Reuven, $50,000, to give it to this guy, Shimon. And in six months, he's not paying me back the $50,000. So this Reuven say, you liar, I, I don't even know you. So what do you mean? Here, look at these two people. They heard you saying to him that you got the money from me, and you're only the broker. <laughs> you understand? So that once you say, oh, my money is not mine, it belongs to this person, even though you're only doing it because you're afraid of Ainara, because you're afraid of interest, 
because whatever the case is, because you want to kill him on the interest and you feel embarrassed because he's your cousin, whatever the case is. Once you say my money belongs to another person, now somebody else on you. Remember, because it's enough that two witnesses come and say, yes, we heard him saying that his money belongs to him and you must pay him the money. No way out. Cannot say anything. So that's one way. What's the second way? Someone that his wife control him. I know it doesn't apply to this community. <laughs> but, you know, I have other listeners. <laughs> in some places in the world, the wives are the boss. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, if your wife is the boss of the house, your life is over, my friend. You just got yourself a master. Not that the wives are not smarter and you cannot get a good advice from them. No, that's not what we said. But once the person is afraid of his wife and she's his boss and she decides where we go, what we do, where we, do, we send the kids, what are we buying, how much is the diamonds gonna be that you buy me, she decides everything, that's it. What do, you, what do I need you for? <laughs> you know, so, you know, one, one girl went on a date with a guy and he said, you know, I'm, I'm out of law school and I have a great job. Oh, really? Good to know. How much you make? 200,000 a year. She said, oh. He said, what, not good? First year out of law school, 200,000, not good? She said, no, very good, but I'm worried. What's going to be left for you? <laughs> Already before the marriage. All right, so anyway, so the Gemara say, and the third way that you buy yourself a boss, giving your money in your life to your children before you die. If you're sick and you have a week to live and you make a will, fine. But if you are, I don't know, 60 years old, you can live another 20 years easy. But you say like this, I don't want to give my money to my children only when I go to Gehenom. Why? At least let me enjoy here. When I see my children buy themselves a house, business, sending the kids to good school, having a nice car, this is my pleasure. What's wrong with that? Smart guy, no? Very shortly, your children won't remember your name. And if you're wondering if it's true or not, let me tell you a true story that happened in Israel a few years ago. A few years ago. Mama, shortly. Four or five years ago. So one old man like this decided, not so old, but he has a lot of money, he decided that he will leave himself very little and give everything to his children. Three sons he has. He gave them all the money. And then shortly after he gave them the money, they forgot his name. Nobody invites him anymore, no Shabbat, nobody comes to visit. That's it, they don't need him anymore. They got what they wanted. He comes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, look at this. Banim gidalti veromamti veempashubi. I raised these children, I elevated them, and they, they betrayed me. What am I going to do now? The rabbi said, don't worry, there is a solution. Call them tomorrow morning to the one that has a car. Tell him, I need you to come help me. I have to buy a safe from the locksmith. So he's going to ask you, what kind of safe? Tell him, a, a, a very, very, you know, very major, big, heavy-duty safe. He's going to ask you, father, what do you need a safe? What, what, what? So he tell him, you know, everything I gave you was only my cash. But I have a lot of precious diamonds and rubies. 
that so far everything is hidden in different safes in different banks. I want to gather everything and put everything in a safe and hide them in my, inside the wall in the house that when I die, I'll show you where it is and you come and you're going to be able to get all the stones because this is very expensive stones, it's worth millions. You know, and I, if, I, if I'm dying right now, you will never find it. It's one is in this safe, one is in, it's going to be very complicated to locate them. So, when they tell you, okay, we can't help you with the safe, from now on, your life will become paradise again. Call up his son, Moshe, yeah. Tomorrow I need you in the morning, please take two hours off from the, from the business. It's heavy. Bring your two brothers, it's heavy, safe. I need you to come, pick it up, bring it to my apartment. I have somebody to install it, don't worry, just bring it in. Father, why do you need a safe? I have precious stones. Okay, quickly. Nine, he said nine o'clock, seven o'clock, they're already there. Father, you okay? You had breakfast? Gee, very nice. Okay, they went, they bought the safe. Seven years he lived after that incident, seven years. So that means that the story was more than seven years because I read about it about six months ago. It was fresh six months ago. So the story was seven and a half years ago, here to be precise. So seven years he lived and then he died. And the day of his death, Everyone put his suit quickly. Oh, you also here? Oh, you also here? <laughs> the Shiva didn't finish yet. How did you make it so quick? He came with a special cab. So now they're all standing by the safe. They open up the safe. What's inside? Stones that he picked up on the street. You know, garbage, stones, some sand, and a piece of paper. And they, they pull up the paper. This is what the criminal kids that forgot their father deserve. Here, garbage stone from the street. <laughs> but seven years, every Shabbat, they were arguing who's going to host him for Shabbat. <laughs> no, Abba is by me. No, no, by me. Come on, don't do it to us. No, no, no. I promise my wife doesn't give up. He has to be by us. Every week, fight. Where is he gonna go? <laughs> I think they're cursing him until today already. <laughs> what a trick he pulled on them, but really that should have been without the trick. What can you do? You have to trick your children to give you what they owe you. Ay, 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 ay. All right, so let's move on. So the, we're continuing with Baba Metziah. Rabba Barbarchana. had workers, and the workers broke a barrel of wine. You know, they move things, they broke the barrel of wine. So what did he do? He took their coat, they have like a kilt that they wear, so they take it off while they're working, it's hot. So he knew they, know they don't have enough to pay him for this barrel of wine. Wine is expensive, it's handmade wine, you know, 2,000 years ago. So to guarantee his loss, he took the coat, and I said, where is the coat, Rabbi? He said, I hid it. What do you mean you hid it? You made me a damage. Yeah, you, you transferred 10 barrels of wine. One of them you broke. It's $1,000, whatever it was. Pay me for the damage. So they told him, this is the law? This is the law that if an accident happened to us, we have to pay you for it? It's an accident. So he says, he says to them, uh, so, so he said, okay, let's go to Beidin. Let's go to the judge. So they went to the Beidin, 
Rav was the Dayan, the judge. So he said, give them back the kilt, the court, to the workers. So he told him, this is the law? He said, yes. For someone in your level, yes. Even though it's an ordinary person, yeah, they have to pay him for the damage. But for someone like you, important rabbi, it's Kiddush Hashem, it's not the same. They will talk for years against the Torah and against the rabbis. Just give it to them. Why? Because Shlomo HaMelech wrote in Mishlei, Mishlei Bet, Mishlei number two, chapter two, Leman telech bederech tovim, that you have to always follow the good ways. Now, the good ways doesn't mean always the right way. The good and right is two different things. Let me explain. The right way is the right way. I stole from you, I owe you the money. What happened if I didn't steal from you, but you really suspect that I'm the one? I don't know, it was only $10. It's worth it for me to say to you, you know what? Take $10, just that you don't suspect me. Here, take it. Or you went, you needed the bathroom, you went into McDonald's, not to eat a cheeseburger. No, you're not eating cheeseburgers. You're very makpid on kashrut. But he, he, there's no bathroom. You're stuck somewhere in a gas station or I don't know, whatever. Oh, we have a, next to it a, a bathroom and a non-kosher restaurant. Quickly went in, you came out. Who come? Your biggest enemy. Come with his beard. Oh, Moshe, very good. How was the food? No, 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 don't worry, I didn't eat. You don't believe me in there? Come, you can ask the guys there. I didn't eat, nothing. Here, you can smell my mouth. Why it's so important? Who care who he is? Because that's called Chilul Hashem. It's, it's a problem. It's going to make bad reputation, even though it's not true. I'll give you an example. They sent a question to Rav Eliashiv. One person who became religious is looking for a job for a long, long time. Hard to find jobs. Now he has two offers. To be a driver on a, on a truck that delivers pig meat all over Israel, pork. You know, the Russians, they love a lot of pork and there's 800,000 goyim came to Israel to feed 800,000 mouths with pork every day. There's a lot of pigs that they import to Israel. So it's a problem. Just in, in every city, you have about 100 different stores that sell pork. You know, that's why we have so much problems. Hezbollah, Hamas, the more we give up rights to all the enemies of the Torah, we pay the price. So what happened now? Now they offer him to be a delivery guy and deliver pork. Or, or to be a driver that deliver Israeli secular newspapers. Not religious newspapers that have gossip, Lashonara, not modest pictures, etc., etc. And he asked Rav Eliashiv, which one is worse? No, what do you think? Which job is more Chilul Hashem? Which scene is worse? To read these dirty newspapers that full of Lashonara and Kfira in Hashem? Huh? Or to eat pork? No, I'm asking which scene is worse? To read those newspapers or to eat pork? Newspapers is destroying your soul. So, pork is a one-time scene. And it goes out of your system, it's over. 
Over here, you can destroy your life. That's the things that you read over there affecting your whole life now. Or the pictures that you see there, etc., etc. So supposedly, helping delivering this poison, or, call, or what we call secular newspapers, to the eyes of all the people, it's a much bigger sin. You participate in a much bigger sin. Delivering the pork, first of all, most of it is goyim. Russian goyim eats it. So really, it's no problem, because they're allowed to eat pork. And if a Jew eats it, with or without you, he's going to eat it, right? Same thing applies to the newspaper. With or without you, somebody will deliver the newspaper. So he asked Rav Yashiv, so which one is worse? So he told him to deliver pork is worse. Why? Even though it's a much bigger scene, the newspapers, than the pork, this is for us, the Torah scholars that know the truth. But 70, 80% of Israel are complete ignorance when it comes to Torah. They have no idea what's worse. An average Israeli secular guy that you tell him, what's worse, to read Yediot Achronot or to eat pig? Of course, pig, Rabbi, I'm not touching pig, you kill me. Hey, he rape, he murder, he mechalel Shabbat, for free, no problem. You give him steak, pig, pig? <laughs> Ma, are you crazy? My grandparents died not to eat this. I'm not touching it. Rabbi, I'm not touching it. With the newspaper, of, I don't want to tell you which dirty newspaper is going like this. Oh, Paul, no, come on. We, we, we're traditional. So in his mind, in the mind of the people, pork is murder. So when they see you with your beard and yamaka, the new religious guy driving a truck with a picture of the, of the pig in everyone's face, what kind of fake religious guy this guy is? But if they see you driving the secular newspaper, nobody will make a beep. Nobody will ask you, hey, how come you're delivering this dirt to people's houses? <laughs> nobody will say anything. Why? In their eyes, it's not even a sin. This is the wisdom of a big chacham in the Torah. The Chilul Hashem is not only applies to the truth, it applies based on the understanding on the fools around you. If the fools will get the wrong impression because they have no idea what Hashem is, you have to take it to consideration. You have to. There's no other way. So he told him, give them back the thing because they will never understand that this is the law, that you can take away their coat until they pay for the damage. They'll make, they'll make such bad repeater, give it to them. So he gave it to them. So they told him, what about our salary? All day we worked. <laughs> Imagine come the mover, he break you a crystal table, made you $10,000 damage, now they want, pay us $500 for the work. So he told them, not only you made me this damage, now you want to get paid for it? They say, yes, we work, it's an accident. So he told them, give them their money. He says, is this the law? He say, yes. Where does it say it? Orchot tzadikim tishmor. A righteous person has to live like a righteous person, not just to be called righteous person. Righteous means when it comes to money, give, give up, take it, no problem. Let's not fight. Are you 100%, it's your money. No problem, enjoy. Trust Hashem, I'll send it to you from a different window, don't worry. Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta says, Baal Basar Hava, he was a heavy guy. One day, he was very hot. In Israel, it's always hot. In January, it's hot. All the time, it's hot. 
So, Baal Basar have. He has very thick flesh, very thick skin, very heavy body. And it was very hot. Avasalik veyati vashita de Tura. He was sitting by, uh, in a place that has maybe some breeze. But there's no breeze. So he called up his daughter. He said, Biti, anifi alai benifta. Bring your thing. You know the ladies that have these things that make hair when they sit to, to watch the opera in Columbus Circle there, or whatever, Lincoln Center. They all go like this. This is for the show. They don't really need it. This is for the show. Over there is great air conditioning. <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, it's in style, uh, like this. But in, in Israel, without this, you die. <laughs> you cannot breathe. So he told her, come, come, make some air for me, to his daughter. So she made air like this in his face. So then he said to her, don't worry, you don't work for free. I will give you the perfume I made. How do they make perfume? They take roses, squeeze them, take a little bit, a few drops, and mix it. And, and it's the perfume, like the rose water that you buy in a store, the Persian rose water. So, so he gives her perfume. That was the perfume of those days. So after a few minutes, oh, a breeze came out. In one shot, a lot of air. And, you know, sometimes it happens, once in a blue moon. So he said to her, wow, how much I owe, how much perfume I owe Hashem. The little air you make me, every five minutes you make hair, I have to give you a bottle of rose water. Now all this breeze came in one shot. If I have to give Hashem what I give you, I have to fill up a river of this rose water, just for this minute. We, we get these things, but we never appreciate it. Imagine if I had to pay Hashem for this breed. How much it would cost me? Now the Mishnah, new Mishnah. We're still in Masechet Baba Metziah. Ma'aseh Rabbi Yochanan ben Matia. Rabbi Yochanan, the son of Rabbi Matia. She'amar lebno, he said to his son, Tzeu schor lanu poalim. Go and hire workers. We need workers. Go bring workers. Allah pasak lai mezonot. He went and he agreed with them on uh, how much they're going to get paid for the work per day. Then when he came back to his father, he told him, my son, even if you make for them a meal like King Solomon in his glorious days, you still are not fulfilling your obligation to them. Why? Because they are not just workers, they are Jewish workers, the children of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It's not so simple. If you really have to feed them, you have to feed them like kings. So, in other words, don't think that the agreement that you made with them, that you give them some bread or cheese or who knows what, piece of fish, that, it's a, that you're doing something great. Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Shimon this is now an amazing story, which will teach us a lot, a lot about life. Katav is Ganvi ve'azil. What? He used to work together with the authorities. What does he do? He tells the authorities about the Jewish thieves. There's a guy over there, he's a thief, go get him. So the goyim come and arrest him and put him in jail, because they are in control of the land right now. They have the police. Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha sent him a letter 
חומץ בן יין, a vinegar, the son of the wine. What comes out of spoiled wine? Vinegar, no? It's sour, it's a spoiled wine, that's vinegar. So his father was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the one who wrote the Zohar, the Kabbalah, as a holy man. And he is his son. He was with his father in a cave for 13 years. It's not a joke here. And he's buried today next to him in Meron. Every year there's more than half a million people go to the grave, one next to the other in the same place. So he, one of the biggest rabbi in the, in the world, one of the rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha, sent him a note, and, he, and this is how he named him. Vinegar, son of a wine, which means your father was holy and you are, I don't want to say what. This is. How long you going to continue to turn our nation into the hand of this cruel goyim that will kill them one after the other. You're not afraid? You're turning Jews into the hands of this cruel goyim? All these Romans there? So he sent him back. The owner of the field has to clean all the weeds and the thorns out. Let him come and clean the thorns from his field. Who understand what he answered? Did you get the point or no? You gotta come to the yeshiva urgently. If you didn't understand that, this is my four years old kid understand something like this. No, I'm not joking. He said to him, you have a complaint against me? You're calling me vinegar, which means I'm a thorn in a field full of flowers, right? Let the owner of the field come and clean me out of his field. Let God come and kill me if I'm guilty. Don't give me musar. If I'm guilty, may Hashem kill me. That's what he tells him. One day, he found the owner of the laundromat. It wasn't the laundromat today. You put quarters and go like this all day. Different laundromat. You have a hole in the ground. You put some water or you dig deep as the water comes from spring water. And you put your stuff. The, 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 the soap was like gasoline smell, you know. That's how they clean the things. What do you think? It was like today. So he told him, Chometz ben Yain. Oh, now it's the second. Now he started to realize that that became his nickname. Vinegar, son of wine. So I said, oh, now it's another person. That means the rumor is going around. So he told him, from your arrogance, I am sure that you are a wicked person. He told him. Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, got offended when he called him vinegar. So he told him, from the way you talk to me, I understand that you are a wicked person. Right away, he called up the cops, because he was already, he has connection with the police of the Goim. They like him, he's one of them. He's turning to them names. He makes their life easy. An informer. Grab him. So they grabbed him and they took him. When he relaxed, a few hours later, he come down. He went to the jail to release him. So maybe I wasn't objective because I, it was personally with me, he offended me, but maybe he's not wicked. Let me go and save him before it's too late. 
When he came to the jail, they told him it's too late. They took him already. Shh. What do you see from here? That the thieves used to get death penalty by the Romans. Because we're talking Ganvi here, not murderers. Ganavim, people who steal. They can't steal $50. Yalla. You don't need you in a world. Which means these Romans, which was the biggest murderers in the history, were better than us. Because we are much bigger thieves than them. You understand? Today when you go to the police, you say, somebody, I know somebody stole 50 bucks from me. Say, ah, don't waste our time. Don't even file a complaint, 50 bucks. He watches baseball and drink his beer. He has time for you, this cup. But over there, right away, oh, he stole something. Grab him, kill him. No? So, he went to release him. He couldn't find him. Kari ale. And then he said like this. Shomer pivul shono, shomer mitzarot nafsho. A person who watches his mouth and his tongue save himself from lots of problems. Which means if this fool wouldn't call me vinegar son of wine, he would be alive now. From his mouth, one word that came out of his mouth made him to die. But he fell on the floor and cried. Why? He started to think, maybe I killed, after all, an innocent person. Maybe he didn't deserve to die. Because he wasn't a thief. He just cursed me. But he wasn't a thief. Maybe he didn't deserve to die. So they picked him up. Get up, Rabbi. You're clean. Don't worry. Get up. But he was still crying. They told him, Rabbi, don't worry about this wicked guy. The people on the street saw him crying. Don't feel bad for him. Him and his son raped a married woman in Yom Kippurim, the holiest day of the year. Him and his son, something like this never happened before in the history of the land. So what are you worried that he's dead? Should make a party. Now, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was very, very massive, very heavy. He was grabbing his belly. There's a lot of uh, fat inside. So he was grabbing his belly and say, my fat stomach, make a party. <laughs> Even when I have a doubt I'm right, it's needless to say when I'm 100% ra- sure. No, because here I didn't know if he's wicked or not. Just by the way he talked, I saw that he's wicked. I didn't know him, but all these thieves that I know them, that they deserve, they come from house to house and steal, of course they deserve to, to get out of here, right? So he says like this, I'm sure that the day I die, that the day I die, my fat in my skin will not smell. Because what makes heavy people smell when they die? They smell faster than skinny people. Why? What begins to smell is the fat. Fat is, uh, smells the most in the body of a person. So, it's all the liquid of the fat, so that's what smells. So he say, I'm sure that the worms will not come, the worms will not come to suck the fat out of my body in the day I die. Because that's what really happened. If you put fat over the body of a person in a bucket, it's going to be millions of worms in it. And he still 
wasn't peaceful after that. He still had a doubt. One time they made him a surgery. This is 2,000 years ago. Make no mistake. Ashkiuhu Sama Deshinta. They gave him anesthesia and put him to sleep. So in case you go to college and they teach you that anesthesia was invented 150 years ago, I forgot the name of the guy, tell them it's a lie. The Chachamim were operating on people and putting them to sleep with a special drug, Sama Deshinta, the drug of sleeping. Completely put them to sleep, they don't feel anything in a surgery. So you don't have to pay $3,000 for the anesthesia shot if you were in a time of Chazal. You come to the rabbi, he give it to you. Here, here, go, put your son to sleep until he will be 18, then he won't make you problems. You don't have to look for him at 7-11 at 3 o'clock at night. How old is he now? 15? Here, give it to him. Every day, you give him a little more. When you wake up, Abba, what's going on? You've been sleeping for four years. Now come, we have a shidduch for you. Come get married. <laughs> come. <laughs> this is the, in Israel, we call it the tipesh esre, the age of the foolish kids. Age 14 to 19, that's the age that you have to pray day and night to Hashem that, you, that the police won't call you. Hey, hey, come pick up your son, he's here. What? You know what. So... They put him on a marble table, rule number two, and an operation. What's the cleanest material in the world that have less germs than anything? By cleaning it, it becomes completely clean. Everything else you clean, wood, this, the germs still stay there. One thing if you clean, it's marble. Shaish, marble, it's sterilized. Very good. You clean it, that's when they made the operation on. So they had anesthesia. They knew that marble is sterilized 2,000 years ago without microscope seeing the germs. Right? Or the Gemara says in another place, I spoke about it in a lecture, the knowledge in Chazal, knowledge of the sages, that if a person left uh, some of his cup, don't drink from, from the leftover because you can die from it. This is way before Louis Faster. Before all these, the, all these inventions that we had in the last hundred years, the Gemara said that you can get the germs from a person who left some in his cup and he can die from it. So they, how did they know about this? There was no microscope. How did they know there's germs? You know how small the germs are? You cannot see them with the eyes. Before the microscope was invented, Chachamim knew that we go from mouth to mouth, you can get, you can get uh, sicknesses. The knowledge that they had is incredible. If you learn about the knowledge of Chazal, you are in shock. You, you right away will realize that the doctors today are monkeys compared to the rabbis 2,000 years ago in medicine. Monkeys, you know a monkey next to a person? They maybe have five fingers, both of them, in each hand. But that's just about the, uh, the only mutual thing. Everything else is different. Yeah, except the body looks a little bit. So... They open up his stomach. Which surgery they making him? Liposuction. You know, liposuction today, some people die. Uh, hey, doctor, I have extra eight pounds in my stomach. I cannot stop pressing potato chips. Yalla, cut, open, $5,000, $10,000, get, get rid of all the fat. Quickly, they cut, they saw. No, very good, you became skinny for two months. 
Then months later, you need again. <laughs> you, you like to eat, you like to eat. So they opened up his stomach and sucked out of his stomach two big buckets of fat. Today, I met a plastic surgeon in a seminar that I had in Beverly Hills. We became friendly in a dining room. So I told him, how, what's the most amount of fat that you can take out of a fat person's stomach? Is it possible that a person that has 50 pounds, you can take all the fat out? He said, no. Each time, then you have to wait for, you know, until he recuperates, six, seven pounds of fat. That's it, you can get from his stomach. So he has 50, 50 pounds of extra weight in his, you know, in his stomach alone. You can only take six. It looks a little bit thinner, that's it. It's not a, a solution. You can just suck as much as fat as you want. You can die. It's dangerous. So they took out two buckets. It's much more than six pounds. Two buckets full of fat. When was it? In a month of Tammuz. Now it's Tammuz. 110 degrees in Israel. In a month of Tammuz. Ah, I cannot breathe in the heat over there. <coughs> if it's in Bnei Brak, Tel Aviv, forget it, it's a sauna. They left it out in the sun for two months. Tammuz and Av. Two months, the hardest. July, August. In Israel. July, August. And then what? July, August, he did not smell. Then he, say, then he came and said, you see, when I was holding my stomach, and I say, I'm sure the day I die, my body will not smell, I know what I'm talking about. Look. Now, it's in the a, in a sun for two months. Come smell. Do you see anything rotten? Do you see worms? Nothing. No, what else? This story has a lot of secrets in it. Don't understand it literally, please. Okay? It's not a newspaper. It's very deep. Then, he was still not, he still did not have a peace of mind. He still worried about that wicked person that did what he did on Yom Kippur to this woman with his son. Still thinking about him. Maybe I spilled the blood of someone who did not deserve yet to die. So he decided that he deserved to receive suffering from Hashem, to make sure that he's not guilty of it. After he received all the suffering, he had all kinds of sick, sicknesses in his skin. They were changing 60 sheets. Every few hours they changed the sheets, one after the other from the things past that were coming out of his body. In the morning, they used to take them full of pus and full of blood. It's something they called Shechin. This is one of the ten plagues that Hashem gave in Egypt. Shechin. It's a sickness in the skin. Lo alenu. Every day like this. No. One time, his daughter heard that he said in the morning, he said like this, in the morning, he said, my brothers and sister, please come back. He's referring to the suffering, the pain and the, and the itching and all that. Please come back. And then in the afternoon, he said, please leave me alone. I have to learn Torah. 
And in the morning, please come back. And in the afternoon, so his daughter heard that he's saying, she said, what is this? So she said to him, uh, she said to him, we are feeling bad for you, and you actually wasting all the money of our house? What is this? Every day we have to change sheets, 60 sheets, we have to do laundry to bring new sheets. All our money go for your sickness. And now we realize you're really not sick. You are asking for the sickness. You're praying for Hashem to send you the sickness, and every day Hashem sends it to you in the morning, and in the afternoon it leaves you. And we thought it's a decree from God. Now we understand that you are praying for it. Why are you making us waste our energy and money, etc., etc.? So she went to her, uh, now wh what money she was talking about? Her grandfather, her mother's father. The father-in-law was sponsoring him because he was a big scholar in Torah. So she say, all my mother's money, my, my grandfather's money goes on your nonsense, on this past that you have. I'm going to tell him, the daughter. She ran and told to, to the grandfather, all the money you're giving is burning with his prayers that he's praying for suffering. We have to put everything into taking care of him. So, you know, the stories keep going and going. In the time that he had the suffering, all the sailors in the ocean that had a storm, as soon as they called in the name of Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, in the name of Rabbi, Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, save our life. And always miracle happened to them. He was a very holy person. It was, uh, people saw right away, as soon as you mention his name, hop, your life gets saved. Like we say, Elohad Meir Aneni until this day. Then, The next day he went to the yeshiva and women were bringing their clothes when they're in impurity, in the nida, after the blood stopped, they have to check themselves to see that they're pure and they, they have to start counting seven days. But sometimes they have a doubt. It's blood, not blood. It's come from the womb, not come from the wood. Very difficult to tell the differences between one blood to another. It's blood that comes from the wood and blood that comes from a wound wound and the womb, it's two different things. Nobody in the world today can tell the difference, except the big chachamim. They can look at the blood and can tell you the source of the blood, and based on that, they can tell the woman, you are pure for your husband, or you're not. And if they make a mistake, the husband and wife are making the worst sins of karet, and the soul shall get cut out of the next world. It's his decision by looking at the blood. This is what David Amelech, King David, was saying to Hashem, all the kings in the world sitting and enjoying life, having servants, and I'm standing all day and checking these clothes for the women to allow them to be with their husband, that there will be more holy children in the nation of Israel. You understand? It's very interesting because one time I spoke to a wealthy man. I told him I cannot support my yeshiva in Yerushalayim anymore, and I have other many things on my head, lecture, people, CDs. I cannot. It's too much for me. Why don't you take over? It's a very wealthy man. Save the yeshiva. Otherwise, it's going to go smaller and smaller and smaller. And then one day we'll have to close it, God forbid. So he decided to do it. 
Now, he gives checks for a year, then the, the year expires, you have to do again the convincing. People still don't understand how lucky they are. They have the merit that thanks to them, 24 people sit and learn Torah all day and all night. Most of the money comes from him, not all. Then, second year, he agreed, fine. Third year, it wasn't easy already, because business is not so great anymore, America. So he asked me, what's the point of this yeshiva of yours? He visited there, there a few times. He makes sure, he checks, he investigated to see all day, they learn, no, no jokes over there. Everyone sits with Philin, holy, holy people there. So he said, but what's the point? All their life they learn Torah. They do nothing, these people. They come from the house to the yeshiva. At night, they go very late at night. Five in the morning, they get up, they go to the mikveh, they come right back to the yeshiva. Late at night, they come home. That's what they do. What are they helping? Why they can't go and work? Or to become rabbis, to teach Torah. So I told him, actually, each one of them is a rabbi already. And what do you think they do? They learn to do bdika of the cloth, which is the hardest thing to do, the hardest thing for a rabbi. Everything else is much easier to tell you if the meat is kosher or not. Eh, you know the laws, you say. You look, you check the knife, you check the animal, you know. But these differences between blood to blood and all the laws of impurity of a woman and all the laws that, are, that connects to it is one of the hardest things in the entire Torah. Very complicated. And I say each one of them already passed the exam, the test. Each one of them has a smicha of answering questions of nida. You know, it's the hardest thing. If you know that, everybody know you are a real serious rabbi. It's not a joke. So he said to me, so what? That's what they do? I say, yeah, that's what they learn. And now, Baruch Hashem, they all passed the test. This is what the yeshiva was doing in the last year. Focusing, besides all the learning, focusing on passing the exam and getting a certificate that they have the knowledge for that. It's like a doctorate. You become a doctor. It's much harder than to be a doctor. Much, much harder, the learning. There's nothing to compare. So I said, okay, let me think about it. The next morning, he calls me up, all shaking. He said, I went to Daven this morning. And, oh, the, night, the, night, the day before when I was talking to him, I said to him, you know that David HaMelech used to do it? The Gemara praised David HaMelech that he said to Hashem, look what I'm doing, I'm checking bloods, pure blood and impure blood. So they're doing what David HaMelech did. Is not good enough for you? So he's almost convinced. The next day, he calls me up in the morning, he said, you know what Gemara they read in the shul where I davened this morning? They told me, come, come, sit with us. As soon as I said, he told me, open page such and such. As soon as I opened the page, the rabbi said, David HaMelech, say to Hashem. <laughs> Thousands of pages. David HaMelech, say to Hashem, all the kings, this and this and this, and I'm checking, Damnida. He said, thank you, Hashem. I got my answer. 24 hours later, he sent me, he sent me envelope. He understood the Ashgacha, which means if this miracle wouldn't happen, the yeshiva would be stuck. Hashem will find somebody else. This is how it always goes. But the idea is to see the Ashgacha over here. So he was checking all the bloods of all the women, and the next day, every woman who came, everything they say, he say pure. And they came to him and say, you lost your mind. How can it be? All these women who came to you in one day, all of them was pure? 
You couldn't find one of them. It's impure. How can it be? So he told them, if I'm right, all these women will give birth to a boy. If I'm wrong, there will be one female among them. And then you will know that I'm wrong. One, not all of them will be female. If there is one female from all these 60 women, then you are right. Then I made a mistake. The Gemara say all of them came out boys. First of all, from here we learn that a boy is better than a girl. No offense to the ladies. Because if the girls would be better, he would bless them for girl. He blessed them for boy. Why a boy is more important than a girl, even though the girls in the end don't like it? Why is it? Because the boys, the girls were, were created for the boys. First, Adam. The plan was Adam, and he got him an assistant. If you have a coach, and the coach needs an assistant, and now you find an assistant to the coach, who is important in a team? The coach or the assistant? When they say the team winning or losing, who do they blame or praise? The coach. Nobody cares about it. President or vice president? Anybody know who the vice president of the United States? Half of the Americans don't even know. Why? Who cares what he say, what he He's a puppet. What is he? If the president die or go or something happened to him, yeah, he become important. But right now, it's a shadow. It's a picture on the wall. Bottom line, the president. The president, yes or no? That's it. That's how it is. That's why the mother said before, if the wife became the boss, something in the world is not functioning. And again, no, no, not offending anyone. I'm just reading to you what the Gemara says. So, so, in the end, we almost come to an end. We have three more minutes and we'll finish this story. We'll get the point here. So, all of them called their boys Rabbi Elazar. Elazar, not Rabbi, because they're little kids now. All of them called 60 Elazar were born. It reminds me, there's some shoes in the world that you walk in and you call your son, Yoel, Yoeli. 500 boys turn around. Yeah. Where is it? Satmer. Then you go to Breslev, you scream, Nachman, half of the kids of the shul turn around. <laughs> you say, Nathan, the other half. There's no other names over there. Nachman, Nathan. And by Satmer, all of them Yoel. Believe me, if they could call all their kids Yoel, Yoel 1, Yoel 2, Yoel 3, Yoel 4, you know, F16A, F16B, F16C, everything. Nobody cares. No, so over here, oh, many Elazar, Baruch Hashem. So, Amar Rebbe, Rebbe, Rabbi Udana Si, the president. Kama preya urviya bitla rishazo mi Israel. Ki avanacha naifshi amar le ledevitu yadana berabanan deretit chialai. He say like this. He say like this. I know the rabbis are furious at me that I'm turning the thieves into the hand of the Romans, into the hands of the Goim. When I die, don't bury me. Put me in the attic. Leave me in the attic of the house. And don't be afraid of me. I will not stink 
and no, no worms will come. Don't worry, relax. You can leave me in the attic. So, when he died, they put him in the attic. How many years he was in the attic? 22 years he was in the attic, 22 years. Today the house doesn't last 22 years. <laughs> Not the body of a person. The whole house in America, Shitrak, Lego, one flood, the whole house flying in the wind. But he was in the attic for 22 years. One day, and the, and the people used to come, slowly, slowly, the rumor went in town that he's still in the attic. So people used to come and pray. His place became like, a, like a, the Kotel Amaravi, the Western Wall. People coming, praying that they get their answer from Hashem because of his holiness. One day, one day she went up and she saw a worm coming out of his ear. For the first time, one worm coming out, which means there's worms inside the body. Now there's worms. Up to now, everything was fine. He told her, when I die, if you pull an air out of my scalp, you will see blood coming with it. Then you know that I will not stink. Once there's no blood, there's no blood, the body begins to smell. So when she saw, she started to get scared. Then he came to her that night in a dream and told her one time somebody was insulting a rabbi next to me and I was silent about it. I did not jump to protect his honor, the honor of the Torah. And because of that, I heard bad insult and I did nothing about it. That's the worm that came out of my ear. But don't worry, that's it. It won't be anymore. But she started to see that people are talking about it too much. She was nervous. So she, they decided to bury him. So they decided to bury him. But the people of the town next, the next town, the next town, they did not let them bury him. They call, the next town, their name was Akhbaria. It's the name of a town. They said, no, we don't let you bury him. They take his body to be buried in a cemetery. They make demonstration, like in Israel now. All the streets are black, tents all over. Real estate is too much. 30, 40% of the people cannot afford rent, cannot afford to buy a house ever, you know? So the house, the, it's demonstrations all over. So they come and say, hey, what are you doing? Take him back home quickly. We don't let you bury him. Why? The 22 years that he was in a house, this house is between the border of this town to another. Not one bad animal enter and attack our chicken or our goats. Used to be fox, all kinds of animals coming, coyotes. They, they're killing the animals. They're making big damage. 22 years, not one attack on their city. So they, they knew that the only reason for it is his, his holy person that was in a cave with his father for 13 years. So they say, we don't let you bury him. Don't ruin our business. Don't ruin our parnassah. It's like in Russia today. Every year, thousands of people go to Uman. What? To worship their whatever. So what's happening now? One time they decided it's a shame to lose 30 million dollars every year on airline tickets. Let's bring him to Israel. All of a sudden the Russian Cossacks became the biggest Hasidics in history. 
on our dead body. You're not taking him out of here. We, we want him here in Uman. Why? Papelinos. <laughs> Lots of money. Ooh, ah. 30,000 Hasidim come, they buy fair hats, they buy wallets, they buy this, they buy wine. I don't know, whatever they buy. It's very good business. They rent the apartments, they sleep in, in, in rooms. You go to this Russian guy, here, this is room, $500 for three days. Here, $1,000. Very, and the transportation, and the bars, and this, and the supermarkets, very good business. They don't want to get his body out. Same thing here. No, you're not burying him. Since she saw that, one hour before Yom Kippur, when everyone was busy with mikveh preparing for Yom Kippur, quickly she got his students. They took him quickly to the cemetery. Nobody knew about it, because nobody has time now to check. And they buried him. And that was the end of it. After they, they, you know, they buried him one hour before Yom Kippur. Then, What, what is the message in the story? Besides all the things that I emphasized before, we learned from here one thing. It's a big scene to turn a Jew into the authorities, to the police, to the FBI, to the IRS, to the army who search for him, whatever the case is, or just a gang that wants him because they, want, they have problems with him. It's a big scene. But, if this Jew is a threat to other Jews, we're not talking had a fight, one Jew against the other. It can happen. I'm talking is a constant threat. Like a con artist who go from one Jew to another and milk him out of his money. Or rapist. Or murderer. Or violent person, like gangster, who charge protection. Give me protection, if not, we burn your business. If you are in any life threat, even if he's only talking, you don't know, maybe he's serious, then there's no problem. You're allowed to turn him into the authorities. Why? In the old days, the rabbis, they, they were the master of the land. They were the court, and they had major police in Israel. If the rabbis from the Beidin say to the police, go and arrest this person, that's the end of it. You didn't need the, the police of the goyim. But here in America, it's not a Jewish land. And also in Israel, it's not a Jewish land, because who owns it? All the wicked people. They are sitting in the government. They are running the show. And the laws there are against the Torah, not with the Torah. The Torah, they don't care about the Torah. They go by the laws of the British and the Turkish and who knows? All kinds of laws. Therefore, the, the Beidin doesn't have the power. Some things they can do, but that's it. So in other words, if a person is guilty of a murder, he's not going to be judged in a, in a Beidin. Any criminal act, it has to go to a secular court. There, that's why the Beidin doesn't have the power. But if the Beidin had the power, of course. What's the question? There's no permission ever to turn anyone in, even if it's a threat to the community. You have to go to the rabbi, and the rabbi will take care of him. But since today we don't have it, it's pikuach nefesh. If I don't turn him in, tomorrow he's going to rape my son's daughter. Then what are you going to say? Oh, we didn't want to turn him in, and look what happened now. All the people in Borough Park now remembering that this monster 
was threatening all the kids in the neighborhood with his crazy eyes all the time. But not one of them thought that he can end up in a brutal murder like this. All they had to do is to call the police and come say, hospitalize him. It's crazy. You have to see. He's taking all kinds of medication. One blood test will throw right away. He has four different cocktails of drugs in his skin, in his, in his body. The, the murderer. And he also drugged the child, the poor child. Four different drugs they found. But you understand? And we have thousands of crazy people like this around us. Nobody liked the word crazy. But crazy, I mean person that has no control on his brain. No control. Chemical imbalance, problems. Uh, they don't control it. Depression, medication. You know, you know how many people get married and they don't know that the person they marry to is he on heavy medication? All the time sleepy, heavy. One or two days he doesn't take his um, manic depression medication and he can kill you. I know a guy like this. He, he doesn't like to take the medication. So every three, four months he's hospitalized with handcuffs. Why he doesn't like to take the medication? I once spoke to his doctor 20 minutes on the phone. The doctor told me the sad part is that if he would take his medication, he would never have an attack. Never. Ears. Everything that happened to him, it's because he stopped taking the medication because he lived in illusion that he's, he's healthy now. So why he doesn't want to take his medication? Because it makes him tired and heavy. This, the talking is heavy. He's all the time sleepy. Everything by him is in a slow motion. It, it's like heavy weight. It's like someone put a, a refrigerator on your head. It's very hard to function. It's not pleasant. But what's the other option? So one day he drove a car, hitting cars, going crazy 100 miles an hour in streets with children. By a miracle, nobody died. Could be 10, 20 people who could kill. Cannot control himself. And, and in case you don't know, he, when he's not under attack, he's the nicest guy on earth. The number one Baal Chesed, funny, joking, friendly, hugging everyone, kissing everyone. Whatever you tell him, I need your help. Two o'clock at night, I'm on my way. But when he gets the attack, it's scary to even be in the same place. And you can control it. And when they come back to normal, they don't even remember. I went to visit him a few times in the hospital. I saw after all the medication and the, and, the, and the needles that they gave him in what situation he is, he didn't even remember I came to visit him. And one time in the middle of Shabbat, he called me and was leaving me all Shabbat messages on my cell phone. And you see, the next day you call him, he doesn't even know. So how do you blame somebody like this in murder? The murder is not taking the medication. Same thing like drinking alcohol or taking all kinds of drugs, LSD, whatever. This is the murder. From now on, you're not guilty. Getting yourself into this situation, well, he was 100% clean. The story goes on. We'll continue next week because I got to run to my next lecture. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.